Welcome to Jurassic Pod, a podcast 65 million years in the making and the fourth most popular Jurassic Park podcast on the internet. What? <laughs> was that, did I say that too fast? Chicken Gibson's response to Mike's us. already reading the script. He's already reading the script. Uh, we've got a packed show, so I'm not even going to address Mike, and I'm not going to even banter. Uh, we have start off uh, rankings feedback. Uh, one of the big things we missed was brought by uh, one of our fans and friends of the show, Jim Hargrove, when we saw him just moments after we had texted moments. him uh, texted him live on the air. Uh, he said, why isn't there a best kills category? And I said, oh. Jim Hargrove, Huge James mess. Hargrove, you are 100% right. We missed that. So uh, I did some research, and there are so many kills in this franchise that we're going to have to <laughs> split them up. As evidenced by my zombie movie. Exactly. So, yes, because there's a lot of returning bodies. <laughs> We're going to have to split them up uh, throughout the next couple episodes mm-hmm. as, as we close up uh, our first season here. Uh, we'll get to that at the end of the show. Before we get into our conversation with Daniel from the Stuck on Sorna podcast, we have a, f- a listener feedback update that Mike already kind of hinted towards. Uh, Look, I'm just really happy somebody's listening uh, every yes. week. <laughs> this is awesome. Remember, you can give us feedback. You can be part of the show. Uh, we want you to be part of the show. So Mike can start laughing to open up the episode uh, by visiting www.jurassicpod.com and click the share your voice button on the sexy Jeff Goldblum. All right, uh, Mike, we already have response from our rankings episodes. Uh, we did uh, share something from Keegan Gibson. We talked about it, um, and this is what he says. So if you haven't heard, listened to those episodes, please please listen to them. Otherwise, this this won't make sense to you. Keegan says... I'm so glad you're going to watch Camp Cretaceous. And when he means uh, you, he means Mike. Me. Uh, yep. Trust me, it was way better than I thought it would be. I hope you have a great time watching it. Keep up the great work, BTW. Thank you, Keegan. Yes, thank you, Keegan. Seriously, thank you for for listening. Uh, that's we means think, a lot. I think Mike and I both think that friendship uh, is a lot of it's about accountability. It's about having a friend <laughs> that is there for you to to let you know when maybe you're struggling or are messing up or to help guide you and i How think can you grow if you don't have somebody to hold you accountable yeah i don't think you can and keegan is holding mike when specifically accountable to watch camp cretaceous Appreciate so it. uh we have to do it okay all right we have to get on to the episode's main event i'm talking really fast because i'm so excited uh, we need to talk to daniel stefan he is the creator and the host of the stuck on Swarner podcast uh, is it too bold to say that Daniel is doing the Lord's work? I don't know. I'm not the Lord. Um, but I will say this. Uh, he's doing an underappreciated task. If you don't know what Stuck on Sorna is, shame on you because you're probably a Jurassic Park fan. Stuck on Sorna is a behind-the-scenes podcast all about Jurassic Park 3. He interviews, honestly, so many people that were part of this movie, people that did storyboards, even some of the actors talking about the why this film was made the way it was, the craziness of this film, the script, and uh, how it kind of showed up the day before they started filming, all this these morsels. And it helps explain some of the crazy things that we talked about when we talked about Jurassic Park 3. 
Yeah. So good. And it, kind of a plug, one of my favorite uh, anecdotes from Daniel's podcast is um, kind of going to your point about the script and how it showed up. There's a story that he shares in one of his interviews that um, the director, John Johnston, and uh, Joe Johnston, Joe Johnston. I'm sorry, John Johnston. I went to high school with John Johnston. Johnson, John Johnston. <laughs> if you are listening to this podcast, shout out to you, shout man. Out to you. <laughs> I went to high school with you. Hope you're doing good, brother. Go, um, go, uh, go, 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 Norseman. Okay, I go Norseman. Yeah, I was, uh, was going to say go Gross Gross Point Blank, but that's a film that's with John, John Cusack. Cusack movie that probably deserves a podcast of its own. Um, I think you should be the one. Anyway. To do it. <laughs> Bill Macy, John, Joe Johnston, and I forget one other act, actor is they're sitting up in a tree and they're discussing the lines of dialogue that they're going to use for shooting that day. That's kind of the information that you're going to get out of this podcast. So good. Thank you, Daniel, for the, you know, the Lord's work. The I Lord's would say work. Uh, you know bef- without further ado, I feel like we did a horrible job speeding through this intro. Daniel, welcome to Jurassic Pod. First off, thanks for coming on the show. Uh, we're huge fans of your podcast. We've been referencing it and listening to it. And one thing that's come up in our show, we're a read-watch podcast, so we're really looking back at the movies and the films and talking about why this franchise is so popular and still is relevant with people. But a lot of people we've interviewed are millennials, more our age. I think, I'm not gonna ask you your age, but I feel like we're maybe similar ages. But JP3 is kind of everyone's kind of first um, remembrance of the franchise. Uh, can you kind of share your first experience with the whole franchise, but specifically JP3? Sure. Yeah. Um, I am. I just turned 34. So, you know, yeah, when Jurassic Park 3 came out, you know, I was right at, I was 13 years old. And that was my first like really big movie counting down, you know, checking the fan theory websites. Um but, you know, going back to the first Jurassic Park film, that was a film I was, I didn't see in theaters. I had a taped off TV, like VH, uh, VCR, VHS tape with the commercials. Like they were commercials for like the, the Ford Explorer and Die Hard oh, yeah. um, 3. Um, and even then my sister and I watched it and we turned it off during the must go faster, the Jeep chase. Um, so I couldn't finish it right away. So that was something... I guess as I got older, started enjoying watching the film that seemed the lost world, but it was really Jurassic Park three. Um, you know, like Dan's JP three page was a huge part of like my childhood, like counting down, um, just checking the rumors, really interesting. Like had no idea what was going to happen. I remember even like from watching the trailer, not truly understanding what the plot would be just kind of, I mean, which, I mean, as a talk about on the podcast, I mean, there was a lot of, um, a lot of changes to the script. So it makes sense. Like looking back on the advertising for it, I don't think they really knew what they had or how to advertise it. But yeah, again, JP three was the first film where like I needed to see it, you know, opening night and constantly checking. Like, I don't think I even cared about it being spoiled. I just like needed to know what would happen. It was the anticipation of it. And I think that's what I remember a lot. I remember the advertisements. I don't know if it was like, I remember it must've been Burger King or something like that. I remember kind of the the toys and the posters on a Burger King. I remember a poster on a Burger King or McDonald's specifically with the JP3 with the metal. And we like to call it uh, Jurassic Park Claw Mark. Uh, that's kind of how we like to reference it. I remember my 
my first memory of the advertising and like the promotion for it was actually the animated poster which was playing after an ad or playing after the trailer and it was it showed jurassic park and then a raptor or an animal i guess the spinosaurus actually indented the three as a claw mark. really yeah that's what i remember or something some sort of animation that put the claw mark in there yeah it, it i think you talk about it in the podcast that it even the advertising really showed a change in what jp3 was doing but i, I want to talk about your project with this podcast so did you start this what three years ago yeah so i didn't mean for it to take this long but back in <laughs> in uh you know 2018 you know the first i think the first the first two people that actually responded one was robert dalva the editor and the second was um the female student number number one right was she a female student number one (laughs) yeah um and i think at the time i was i was like aiming for the top you know sam neill um laura dern like and I understand why I, mean, I still never got like a great response beyond anything from like their assistant saying they're too busy. But back in 2018, like I was aiming for that and then kind of realizing that's not a possibility. Um, it just didn't work out. So kind of, I had like some interviews gathered up, didn't, didn't really know what to do with it. Um, and I think last year, you know, having more time and like really once you talk to one person, it's kind of like, Oh, talk to this person. Here's their email address. Yeah. Like, especially, you know, talking to like the art, like storyboard artists, like Richard, Ricardo Delgado, then Jack Johnson, you know, Ed Vero, like they all know each other. They all work together. So once you talk to one person, it's kind of like, Hey, you should talk to this person. They'll talk to you. Um, and that's really what kind of got it going. Cause I, I was, you know, trying to tell people like, Hey, I wanted for the 20th anniversary, you know, it's been three years at this point. And even with that, I, I mean, I really assumed I'm like, I can just, I want to do eight episodes you know, every Sunday for eight weeks in a row, release an episode and instantly like by episode two, I realized that's not a reality. And that's, that's <laughs> my understand. fault. With, like, yeah. And it's, it seems so simple at first, um, like mapping out each episode, but the interviews that I have, I mean, sometimes you talk for an hour or two hours and if you're not like taking notes, you gotta listen to it again, you know, like, and then like deciding what are you going to include in this episode? Like what's, the progression of it and not having done that before um was quite a challenge even now with my next episode like i'm still going through other interviews and i have a couple more i'm doing this week um yeah i'm sure there's a better way to do it and if i ever uh go beyond eight episodes i'm sure i'll i'll change that but i don't, I don't think i'll ever go beyond eight episodes unless i get a chance to talk to some of the main cast i mean I would love to talk to Sam William H Macy. I can't imagine the stories that guy has. Oh my I mean, gosh, that would that okay. would be awesome, and it, it could happen. But I I think just from my experience and Mike, but my experience, I've I've done a lot of podcasting and writing and interviewing. Just listening to the show, I remember two or three episodes in, I was like, oh my gosh, this was an insane amount of work. Just the amount of people that you talk to, and I was curious to see if it was a domino effect of kind of talking to people and they got you another person, but. Uh, what was, what's been like one of the things that has stood out to you about interviewing all these people? Cause I know sometimes it's hard when you're interviewing professionals that worked on one project 20 years ago, we as fans are like obsessive about it. And they're like, uh, I don't know what I did 20 years ago. What's like been one of the challenges going through all that? Well, what I've learned is that I have not seen a film 
in a long time. <laughs> but but they can recall those experiences they had on the set, like the good memories or the bad. Like th- that's what, like it sticks with them. You know, they remember. I mean, for some people, a couple different people, it was like one of their first films, and like they kind of worked with people, like on pro- they like stick with people on different projects. And like for the last twenty years, like gone project to project. So they look back at JP three as one of the first their first like, you know, kind of break into the industry. Um, so, I mean, that's what I've kind of learned is that, yeah, they don't remember the plot details all the time. And sometimes I have to correct them a little bit, but they remember, you know, what it was like making the film. And I think Ricardo Delgado, like hearing him talk about the art he was creating, like how he was kind of just like free to almost do whatever he wanted to do with like within limitations. Like he was just almost like a dream job, just like yeah. brainstorming ways to have the spinosaurus like slow down and not kill the characters i mean it's fascinating to hear that yeah i think that's been one of the cool things as a movie geek myself just hearing all these behind the scenes of all these creators and people who worked on it it really goes to show like how much that goes involved in a movie um all right we're gonna get some questions about the episodes your findings besides your journey to find the script which i'm assuming you haven't yet uh correct me if i'm wrong but what other questions about JP3 were you excited to answer or discover through this podcast? Yeah. So, I mean, the big one was I was hoping to find um, an early, early script, like Craig Rosenberg, 1999, with the kids on the bikes, like jumping off the cliff. Um, that's my goal. I don't know if I ever will. The earliest I've found is like April 2000, um, which is still, it's fascinating because I haven't really gone into it in too, too much detail on the in the episodes yet, but I mean, the script, it's amazing. The evolution of it, like it, where it still has like the Paul Kirby person, but it's a different character. Mm-hmm. Um, and it's like, they still have like a Ben Hildebrand person, like trapped in a tree, but it's not Ben Hildebrand. It's like a documentary crew that tried to get on the Island, oh, but they died. Interesting. So, I love that. Yeah. yeah. So I'm, I'm hoping they go into that, um, in the next, Next to the episode, maybe episode seven. I'm not really sure. I'm trying to figure out like what's, how do I go about like sharing this version of the script, whether it's like reading it, but I don't know if anybody wants to hear that, but kind of like maybe highlights of it. So, I mean, that's the earliest I've gotten was the April 2000. Um, beyond that, I think I wanted to find out what the original plan was as far as what killed the boat crew in the opening of the film. Mm-hmm. It's funny, like when I talk to the editor, you know, he claims that there's a shadow from the Pteranodons and I can't find it. No, I, he... I couldn't if either. I was like, there's no way there was a shadow because right. we, wa- we watched, rewatched the episode and we talked about it. And yeah. I, like the yeah. shadow thing, when he brought that up, I was like, what shadow? Right. Yeah. I mean, to me, and it's funny because like as the editor, you, I mean, he's someone that's like looked at all the footage. So, I mean, maybe he was just at one point, maybe there was maybe it's confused. It's a very strange thing to be so confident about when it's not there. You know what I mean? Yeah. Cause, Cause he I mean, said it's... it matter of factly. Like when you brought it up, yeah. he was like, Oh, there's a shadow. Like, yeah. did you see the shadow? Right. <laughs> yeah. So, I mean, maybe it's there. I can't find it. Um, it. It's very possible at one point there was something or maybe just from, you know, 20 years of thinking that one point that Joe Johnston had said, this is what killed the boat crew that he just kind of put it into his mind. Yeah. Right. Which is possible. I mean, he, I mean, Robert Dale is such like an amazing filmography. I mean, you hear him talk about like going to lunch with George Lucas, like he's in a whole different realm realm. Right. Like yeah. it's, 
which is amazing. But yeah, didn't I mean, he say that he lives down the street from from George? Something like that. Yeah, and he'll yeah. go get lunch with George. Like, right. It, He's not living in the real world. Right. Right. <laughs> so the shadow. Right. Yeah. 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 Sense. So that was one thing for sure. Like really curious about. Um, and I mean, I think it's pretty safe to say that it was the Tyrannodons, but I, of course, at the same time, like that's where it gets in like the script, not really always working because they make a big show of the, the gate door the, yeah. coming open, Amanda Curry. you know, but, but it, yeah, but it is what it is. I, I'm trying to think what else like I, I really set out. I mean, really, it's kind of just out of curiosity, like what, you know, talking to Trevor Morgan, like I always like to think about like, yeah, I mean, Eric Kirby, he did kind of leave Ben Hildebrand in a tree to die. Like no matter what you say, like that's, that's what happened. Yeah. And in the end, the film ends with him with his parents, like pretty much getting back together. Like it worked out for Eric. And I mean, so, <laughs> yeah, Eric's a big winner in this. I mean, that's, that's what's interesting. It's like a weird, and when I was talking to Stephen Ray Morris from a see Jurassic Ray podcast, like he, we talked a lot about it being like this weird, like B movie black comedy. Yeah. And it's like almost misunderstood. And when you think about it like that way, there could have been a whole nother subplot to Eric being some creepy kid. I mean, there's, there's so much potential, which it's a lot of fun to think about because Jurassic Park three, it's, you know, really it's like 30 minutes too short. And it's fun to think about like what there could have been or should have been to make it a full movie. Like I would love to read a, like a full novel based on Jurassic Park three that includes everything as fans that we wanted. Yeah. Um, you know, but other mysteries, like I would love to talk to somebody that knows about the cell phone, the ringtone. Ugh, and yes. I, I'm so confused by that. Cause it's like Udesky has a satellite phone with that ringtone mr kirby has but why why would kirby have a ringtone would he really like input his jingle from kirby pentile plus i mean there's a whole lot of confusion that uh, i don't I just, so many questions i don't know who to like nobody has those answers but. somebody made that decision it right. was, and it wasn't like it like next next hell was sponsored like the doing product placement right. for the phone or anything like it but it's one of those quirky things that it's it stands out it's one of those things that stands out is almost it, it has to be intentional right it's like the song that's playing in the background when when grant meets with the kirby's the first time i mean you make mention of it it's yeah it, it's it's like it's too on the nose to just be what was next up on the playlist just right so yeah and that's where i mean i don't know if it's a matter of like nobody thought to change it in the script um or just make it more clear like the whole satellite phone i mean i don't know i just can't imagine mr kirby being like hey, let me change the ringtone on that satellite phone you know that's just one of the i'm sure there's plenty of questions i mean pe i've had people ask me about the um the the worker village in the lost world, how the, like the set was kind of like reused for the the lab, um, like whether or not that was a mistake. Cause I mean, as a kid, I always thought where Grant like looks into the Jeep or that vehicle, I'm like, Oh, that's the vehicle that Ian Malcolm was in. Yeah. But it's like, it's also, it's not the worker village. They're like at a different, you know what I mean? Cause it's a whole different, right. that's a lab. Um, was that something in the script that nobody thought to change? Like did Joe Johnson say, Sam Neill, when you're walking by, look into that because we need to reference the previous film or is it just like 
you just happen to look over. Like there's like a lot of small details. Like I don't know the answer to that. It's a really fascinating project. And Joe Johnson, unfortunately doesn't speak about the film very often. I've had plenty of people, um, you know, the script supervisor, you know, Brenda, she was, she still talks to, to Joe, like they're good friends. And, you know, she said she would reach out to him. Um, I think Dave Lowry said the same thing. He's just not very open about it. And which makes sense. Like he, he could still be like picked to do some pretty big films at this point in yeah. his, his, his resume. So he's probably not one to talk about that experience maybe as much to advertise it as much. Yeah. for sure. I mean, it sounds like it was just a, a tough experience for him. And unfortunately, like it doesn't, does not quite get the love that it deserves. I mean, I think I've, I've kind of embraced it for like what it is. Like, I know it's not the best in the franchise, but there's a lot of great moments in the film. And I, I think the fun part is talking about what it could have been. And I really think with, you know, another six months or a year in proper planning, it could have been a very solid, a very different film. Yeah. Um, and it's funny because we going through our podcast and rewatching it, our affinity for it has grown when we stack it up to a lot of the other films. And in this, in JP three, there's so many of the hot Jurassic park franchise debates are in this film. I mean, we talk about Grant and Ellie's relationship, which Mike has a point on that. Obviously the Spinosaurus killing the T-Rex grand stream uh, with the talking Raptor. And one that we love is bringing in the U.S. Navy at the end of the film. But like, yeah. why do you think this film causes so much debate and, and talk? Maybe it's maybe I'm, we've already answered that question. But w- what is it specifically about it that you think causes all this debate and kind of controversy amongst the the franchise fans? Well, I, I think it's I mean what you mentioned basically they went against expectations and. They, they made some very strange choices. I mean, I really think like talking to Shelly Johnson about this shot that shows um, Alan and Ellie, like a happy family mm, and the yeah. camera moving. And like, in my mind, that had to have been planned out so well, like intentional, but for him, it was like, Oh no, it wasn't like that. Like it's very clearly meant to trick the audience. Yeah, it's a happy family. It is. Um, which is, I mean, it's an interesting decision you know, along with killing the T-Rex. I mean, that's, that's bold, I think. And it's strange because the, the movie's only 90 minutes long, but it's packed with like stuff like that that just kind of divides fans. And uh, I don't, I mean, it's a, it's such a unique movie. I don't know. Yeah, we, I, I, I re-listened to our rewatch podcast about it um, and kind of in preparation for, for this and also just listening to your podcast as well. And one of the things I noticed that we talked about, we were really critical of it. But as we've gone along on this journey and rewatching all the movies and and taking in other perspectives like yours, my like Luke said, my appreciation for the film has has skyrocketed. And um, maybe that's recency bias, but I I don't think it is because I could have had recency bias after seeing it when we were when we recorded our rewatch and I was critical of it but now I listened to myself and man I was really harsh on this but now I understand more about it and I'm actually very appreciative of it yeah and I think a lot of we look at modern franchises today a lot of them don't take risks a lot of them play it safe we think about the biggest franchise right now actively running is the Marvel franchise and overall universally they are play pretty close to the brand and what they're supposed to do. And it's it's interesting looking at JP3 at a time where this franchise building wasn't 
a thing. And even thinking about how Joe Johnston, what was put in front of him, he didn't have this executive produce. Like Steven Spielberg wasn't like planning out eight Jurassic Park movies. He was like, right. it was like, I don't want some, I don't want like another production company to take over this over, but here's this film to my buddy. He can do it. Uh, here you go. Yeah. Uh, it's just really interesting. Mike, I, I don't want to uh, go over this point because uh, we, you wanted to get Daniel's thoughts on your theory going back to Dr. Grant and Ellie's relationship. Yeah. So I have a theory on how their relationship uh, ended up and it's based in uh, something that occurs in uh, JP3. So uh, you mentioned the scene where you kind of see Grant playing with the kids and you just make this assumption that this these are his kids with Ellie because you see Ellie and then you realize like, oh no, she's married to somebody else. And my theory is that coming out of Jurassic Park 1, uh, Ellie and Dr. Grant fell in love. And there was probably several conversations that they had and maybe maybe some tense conversations because I think uh, Ellie came out of that experience uh, thinking, I definitely need to prioritize making a family because life is precious. And I think Grant came out of that experience thinking, okay, maybe kids aren't the worst thing in the world, but... Uh, I'm really passionate about the work that we're doing and I want to keep going in that direction. And so they break because they have this ideological difference on how they want to see the rest of their lives play out. Then fast forward to Jurassic Park 3, where you have Billy saying, hey, I just didn't want to leave the dig site or I really want to get back to the dig site. And Grant responds by saying, that's the nice thing about Bones is they never leave. And I kind of you know, thought maybe this is uh, a theme in Dr. Grant's life where he's so married to the work that uh, he, he wants to stay and dig, but these love interests, these people that he falls in love with, he can't take himself away from the bones. And so these women are leaving him, um, but the bones, they never leave him. They're always safe. They're always there. He can go back to them. I don't know. What, I'd love to get your thoughts on that. No, I like that. I never really thought about that, but you're right. Bones never running away. That's that would be a, a good explanation for his relationship. Yeah, I, I do not never cross my mind, but that's a good line. And yeah, he's definitely somebody clearly, I don't want to say obsessive with his work, but I mean, he's he's diehard into studying like the real dinosaurs. I mean, he makes it so clear that right. what engine created their monsters. I mean, yeah, he's obsessive with his work. And yeah, that's interesting. That's a, that's a, we're we're That's all about line. making ro- ro- like we're all about creating this uh, uh a, like maybe a side project that's a more of a dramatic love miniseries on HBO all about Dr. Grant's failed loves. But they might honestly they might bring those elements back that were established in JP3 in Dominion. I feel like they have to there has to be something there. I don't know. I, oh yeah, I mean I think it's at this point I would say for sure that I mean, I don't want to say for sure Ellie and Alan are going to end up together, but I would guess that's probably the case. I don't want to say that the Spinosaurus will battle a T-Rex again and lose this time, but it's very possible. I mean, they might be going back trying to fix all these little things, but yeah. I mean, that's why I'm really excited about Dominion, just trying to find out what exactly, because really to me, it's basically like the Jurassic Park 4 that I wanted, you know, years ago. Yeah, They just did, they just spent more time making... Jurassic World and Fallen Kingdom, like, you know, basically like building up the, these other characters. So, I mean, 
that are very forgettable, but yeah. that's uh, we'll, we'll try to keep our opinions to ourselves. I, know, I, I, I try to keep the Jurassic World bashing to a minimal <laughs> amount. Um, I know we brief, I briefly talked about it in the last episode, but I won't even talk about it. Yeah, no, just we, the, we can re, we we got you. We feel you. We can yes. read between the lights. I'm a little bit more uh, harsh on the the world franchises. Uh, okay, we're gonna dig into some of the the more uh, controversies of of JP three. Um, Paul and Amanda Kirby, maybe you could move, maybe include Mark in this, are some of like the least celebrated, I don't want to say vilified characters of the franchise. Do you think they get a bad rap? Oh, for sure. <laughs> I mean, one, what I've, I think really, back to Jurassic World, I've grown to appreciate JP3 more since 2015. Um, you know, before where I even saw like Amanda Kirby as like this character who, who just kind of, screams and yells the whole time you know then when i see claire in jurassic world i'm like okay well wait a second amanda kirby i mean she actually does quite a bit that's like a strong female character i mean even to the point at the end where she's like give me the eggs and she's confronting a raptor face to face like i think in general the characters especially the kirby's i mean i mean william h macy i mean i think the guy's a genius and i think it was easy to watch jp3 at least initially and be like what a weird character. Like what yeah. is William H. Macy doing? But like, maybe he's a genius. I mean, <laughs> yeah. But, yeah. You can <laughs> certainly run the receipts on, on Bill Macy's career and th- there's few duds there. He went and it's funny cause it's a weird, like you said, when you're first watching, it's kind of a weird character, but when you rewatch it you and you understand the context of the character, you're like, wow, William H. Macy went for it. Like he did a great job making you think that he's a, you know, big hot shot. He's a, yeah. The, yeah. Well, at, and, and um, even further than that, not only did he do a good job playing a guy who's out of his depth, but then he also is a guy who's out of his depth, very well acted. So yeah, I, I mean, yeah. it's hard to act as a character playing a different character in a movie. Yeah. And I mean, obviously the great actors can do it, but I think that that is just, uh, you know, a, probably a, you know, um, an accolade or a, you know, a compliment to Bill Macy's performance in uh, JP three, because he was able to, to do that. So convincingly. And more importantly, we love Eric Kirby. I think that's one of my yeah. favorite characters in the franchise. I thought it was cool that you were able to interview Trevor like that. That was, I was really surprised that, that like that was a cast member. I was really excited to hear about. Yeah. Uh, Mike had a question about, one of the things Trevor said in your interview. Yeah. So oh, no. I, I, I loved the interview with Trevor. Like Luke said, it was yeah. one of those characters. Eric is one of our favorite characters in the entire franchise. Um, and uh, one of the things Trevor said that I just thought was really interesting, and maybe this was because I was so young at the time, I didn't really understand it. But Trevor mentioned that uh, the goal of the cast and crew for JP3 was to redeem the franchise for the Lost World. And I thought that was so interesting. That was one of the, that was actually, that's actually the biggest shock to me uh, thing I've learned from your podcast um, is just that that was the, that was the thought that was the atmosphere or the temperature yeah. um, around the movie. And I didn't know that that shocked you as well. It, well, it did, but more so like, and I listen when Trevor agreed, like when I first, I was trying to reach out to him for like months, like, Oh my gosh. I didn't know who to even like, contact i think his mom was like a casting agent so I was like trying to contact her and then um i was emailing like emailing somebody that wasn't really trevor morgan like some other trevor morgan oh no and then 
somehow I think because he has submitted, he's a director now, like doing documentaries and short films and his films have played at like different festivals. And I think that's how I got his, his email address. And wow. immediately he was like, yeah, sure. Like, I'm sure it was kind of like, yeah, sure, dude, I'll do it. Like he's very, very chill, very calm, happy. Um, definitely proud of the work he's done. And, you know, like when I brought up to him how Jurassic Park 3 isn't like the best like received film, like some people like will rank it more, like the, the least favorite, you know, to him. And I felt bad, but like to him, that was like, I've never heard that. Like it, hmm. he, he's never, he doesn't spend time like looking at reviews or going back or dwelling upon things like in his mind, like they made the best movie possible. He's very proud of it. Um, but yeah, the lost world, I was surprised by that, but I mean, I guess when I think back to when I was a kid, like I didn't love the lost world. I like it more now. Like it's a very, I always said like, it's a very solid, bad film as in that it doesn't do what I want to do. And it doesn't have the characters that I want. And I love the novel. Like I've read the lost world more mm -hmm. times than I've read Jurassic park. Mm -hmm. um, so yeah, when he said that, that was definitely surprising to me. And I mean, I don't know if that's, like in his, I mean, because it's tough going back 20 years, you yeah. know, like, yeah. was that just like what he was told or as a kid, like what his view was? I have no idea. I mean, it could be very simple. It's like, if you look at like Steven Spielberg, not directing the third film, I mean, that says something, you know what I mean? Like you, I'm sure most of the crew thought he was going to finish off the trilogy. So when you hand it off to a new director and it's like, Hey, we're going to bring back the love for Jurassic. We're bringing back Alan Grant. We're going to redeem the mistakes of the previous film, I can totally see where they would have that idea, that thinking. Yeah. And I, I feel like maybe some, based on what you, you just said and talking to him, it's kind of like in his mind, I equate it as s someone coming up to you when you were adult and talking about like a summer camp you went to when you were 10, 11, 12. And they said, yeah. Oh, the, that food was awful. Or the, that the, the bunk beds were disgusting and you're like, well, not to me. It was the greatest right. week of my life. And it, it kind of sounded like it based off of his answers to your questions where he said every day was amazing and it got better yeah. and better. Yeah. And, and as a young actor, as a child actor, you probably uh, don't have the, the the wide perspective or better, maybe better put the cynicism of the industry to really hone in on maybe negatives or anything like that. So I actually, I, I, I give him credit for looking back on that experience, um, even without the cynicism and, and being able to be really proud of that work, because I, when we started this, when we started our podcast, I told Luke at the beginning, I think it's going to be unanimous that JP three is, is the worst one, but I disagree. I think it's, I personally, I think it's the third best one, you know? And, and I thought that that was really interesting. That time has healed what I, uh, was probably an impression bias. Yeah. Yeah, no, I, and I think I was very happy because I, I, I did fear that he would want to talk about the film, but talk negatively about it. Mm -hmm. And that would kind of like just kind of break my, my heart a little bit. But when he talks about, you know, being on set and the producers making sure he was still a kid and like they were filming at Universal Studios, like in between, like on lunch breaks, they were going on the JP River ride. Like he was living literally the dream as a kid you know, you're, you're waiting, you're on this ride, Jurassic Park music, fake dinosaurs. And then you're going back to work where you're working with Sam Neill. Like 
that's a that's a huge yeah i can't really comprehend what that was like as a kid so i'm glad he had a good experience and yeah when you talk like if i talk to william h macy i mean he might <laughs> I've read, i mean we, we probably read quotes like where i think at one point he said something like you know who launched a 100 million dollar ship without a rudder you know and who's getting yeah. shot for this like he has some pretty open and honest quotes that were like before the film was released you know like very vocal and i'm curious like what he thinks of it now um you know looking back on it yeah that would be i i believe you can get them i really do and yes. you know richard dreyfus uh like historically and notoriously was criticizing Jaws and his press tour stuff uh, before Jaws okay. came out. So you never you never know what will happen. All right, we're going to do kind of a more speed round um, just to get your thoughts and so our listeners can kind of understand your your hot takes on uh, Jurassic Park 3. Uh, what was your favorite uh, personal moment of Jurassic Park 3? Like just raw, like what's your number one favorite moment? Like in the film, my in favorite. The film. Yep. I think I have come to really appreciate the aviary sequence and really it's uh when grant runs on the bridge the walkway and stops and sees that billy is like buckling um the book bag or the parasol bag and whatever you want to call it that moment where grant like realizes billy's gonna do something really stupid i mean i don't i have so much love for that that whole sequence and it holds up so well i think i just think the visual the shots between, between the two characters I, i've just it tells a story. And I think it's that moment, the sound of him, like grants her, his footsteps on that walkway and like stopping. I love moments like that, that I know we don't really have in uh, the Jurassic world movies yet. Yet. No, I, I, I totally agree. And for listeners who haven't listened to the show, that's the most recent episode. So if you want to like really get into that, that's, it's, it's uh, up on the feed on the stuck on Sorner podcast. But I also love that sequence because one of my favorite, parts about this franchise is the balance of horror and adventure. And I feel like that whole sequence just encapsulates the almost horror aspect where you have one of the more scary shots, very much a slasher shot of the turn. And then you have yeah. something emotional and venture like Billy jumping off the ledge. Uh, so I, I, I love that. Um, yeah. All right. So if you just imagine yourself, Daniel, if you were George Lucas and you could special edition a part of JP three uh, and come out and, and change the film with some CGI magic. Uh, what's the, what's oh, like the man. one thing you would fix like right away once you got into uh, Skywalker ranch and you're like, here we go. We're going to fix this thing. If I could fix the opening <laughs> for sure. I mean, I remember when I was 13, like watching the film and thinking that's not quite right. Hmm. There's, what I would say, like one of the worst shots I've ever seen, like the side shot, clearly green screen, and it's Ben and Eric like bouncing, like and it's just, you know, twelve year old kids strapped to a forty year old man, and the side shot of them bouncing, and I'm just like, oh my gosh, like that's, and then from talking to Shelly, I just feel horrible that like, he even said he didn't shoot that, like yeah. he wanted to reshoot it, like that's heartbreaking. Can you imagine oh. spending a year shooting a film and then? they do like reshoots or go back to film more and you're not a part of it. And yeah. then you watch the film and that's what you see. And didn't he even say in his interview with you, or if it wasn't him or somebody else, that the opening scene is the one thing that you can't get wrong in the film. Right. Yeah. Yeah. So he, he's very aware of it. And like when I brought it up to him, because that was another thing like I was curious about, like, cause some of the shots in the film are so well done. 
like there are some like real gems especially in the aviary sequence mm-hmm. that like like whoa this is this is beautiful so when you look at the opening and you see that shot i'm like well like what was he doing like what happened and so when he said he didn't shoot it i'm like okay i feel better now my respect for shelly remains um so yeah if i could fix that i mean really you could just cut the shot out there's a couple like yeah you could just cut around it they should have known immediately you don't need a couple of those shots that yeah. are really really bad um but in general i mean if they could even reshoot anything or just the opening just doesn't work it's just not good enough but i mean it's better than jurassic world's opening so Ooh, and you yes. know what we did do we a agree. rankings episode we and, and we agreed we ranked all the opening scenes yeah. and uh yes we agree i i jurassic think it's world yeah so bad <laughs> And I think it's really interesting. Yeah. We, I, I'm going to call on Jurassic Park fans. We need to do a Phantom Menace type edit of Jurassic Park 3, but just take out that like that one shot in the opening. And I think mm-hmm. it would, but it, it is great. And honestly, one of the reasons that we've loved the podcast, and I think a lot of Jurassic Park fans, if you haven't listened to the podcast, you need to, because it explains why that's in there. Because I think when we rewatched it and talked about it, we kind of said the same thing that everyone said and that the people who are working on it said like, what the heck happened? And it helps you explain that moment and it makes you appreciate, okay, th- there was a reason why that happened. And, and there's a, there's a backstory. All right, Mike, you had a, a question um, about things he's learned. Yeah. So it, it sounds like uh, your inspiration for wanting to do your podcast had a lot of unanswered questions. So I'm, I'm assuming that as you've gone through and interviewed and kind of dug up some of these details that there's been things that you've learned that have kind of shocked you about the film. Um, I'm, I'm wondering what's the number one thing that you've learned about the film that you didn't know before? Wow. That's a, that's a good question. Um, I mean, there, there's probably a couple of things. I mean, one thing that stands out to me, maybe it's my conversation with Robert Delva, um, which I don't know really know what to believe, but he said that he believes Joe Johnson was filming a comedy. Like he, that he was approaching JP three as a comedy. And I, I mean, I just take him for what he says and I can see where like, yeah, it could be seen as like a, a weird dark comedy, but hearing the editor say that kind of like, I was like I, a little shocking. Yeah. Yeah. Um, and like, that's something I want more. Like I need to talk to, to Joe and like, is Robert just way out, way out there? Like just imagining this or like, were you really trying to make this like a very, very different film? Because I mean, there, there are some comedic moments and some like weird comedic moments. I mean, I think of Cooper on the plane, like how do you know the Kirby's uh, through our church? Like <laughs> that's our favorite line, by the way, we love that line. Is it, or is it Alan? Uh, that, that, that I, the church one is amazing. <laughs> the church is good. The church one's great. The, oh, the Alan, that's something. I still don't know how I feel about that. It never really <laughs> bothered me too much, I guess. Um, well, it became it more bothered. of a, uh, it was, it was like memeified almost like it became more of a pop yeah. culture meme over time. I don't think when I first watched it, I really thought about it, but it became yeah. almost a pop culture meme. And in the, in, I can't remember which episode you guys talk about it, but it actually helped me like, Oh, there's, there was a reason behind it. There's actually trauma there. And in, in like having to dream about a Raptor talking, and it goes to kind of the, the, not the humanization, but the personalization of the Raptors. So there, there was right. thought behind it. I was like, okay, it's not, it's not just something that was out of left field. 
I know. I'm sure they were trying to tie together the whole Raptor communication and the the parrot, you know, say my name, say my name, Alan. Like, yeah, they were. There's a lot of JP3. There are like hints of something that they were trying to. They probably wanted to expand upon, and I think of that missing half hour, because the film is clearly like missing, like 20, 25 minutes of actual content. Um, and if they had more time, maybe they would have expanded upon that. Uh, yeah, the dream sequence. I don't know. That's tough. I mean, there, there's, I'm sure there's a couple other things that really surprised me. Um, I think as simple as you know, talking to the, the concept artists and the storyboard artists, like what they were working on you know, leading up to it, like they spent a lot of time on a very different film, mm-hmm. you know, and like, it could have been very, I mean, it's hard for me even, even to imagine like how different it could have been. Um, I think I would have enjoyed it a lot, but I mean, hearing them say like how much time they spent and then like, I forget who it was, was saying that, cause I've heard different versions of, you know, what happened with that script? Like, why was it tossed out? I think someone at one point said, Spielberg was unhappy with it. I've heard that Joe Johnson was unhappy with it. I don't know, like, no, for sure, 100%, like, who said, we're not doing this script. But whoever it was, that's a bold decision. And, like, they did not delay the film, which, I mean, I feel like today, films get delayed all the time. They do reshoots, and, like, if this were filmed this year, yeah, they'd probably, like, say we're going to push it back here and reshoot a bunch of stuff, so... Uh, that, that's tough to pick one shocking thing. Yeah. Lots of surprises. I mean, the whole film and just your exploration of it is almost a, a shocking insight in itself. Yeah. Of, and it and it comes. I think JP three was came out out of this kind of change in the industry with CGI and and just the development of blockbusters in in general. Uh, we were kind of right about to hit the precipice of like this new superhero uh, market. Um, but it is kind of a fun look at a period of time where you were coming off of so much Spielberg success and where he had created basically, he was creating his empire, uh, but they were imitators of his empire and of his work. Uh, and I guess it's still happening today with the franchise and JJ Abrams. But uh, I, th- I yeah. just think that's, it's, it's really a cool moment to capture. Uh, okay. I have to bring this up. I know this is a little bit off, uh, off the beaten path, but, uh, because you met subtly mentioned it, I need to hear your thoughts on the Matthew Broderick Godzilla and why you love it so much. Oh my gosh. That is every other Godzilla movie that's come out is such trash. Like, <laughs> it is such trash. So bad. Was it the Gareth, Gareth Edwards film? Yeah. 2014. I saw that at midnight. I was like, what is going on? Like, where's Matthew Broderick when you need him? <laughs> I don't I think anybody's the, ever said that, to be honest. Listen, have you rewatched Godzilla? I have not. 98? I have oh, not in a God. long time. It is. It's just a fun. you got to watch it on VHS. Like, you have to. We have to. You have to rewind it and do the whole the process. You really do. Like, put yourself back. And I mean, that's a I mean, I would love to do a podcast about that. I mean. Roland Emmerich coming off Independence Day, like like they said, he had basically like a blank check to do whatever he wants to do, and he chose Godzilla. And it, I don't know, it's I just love it. I don't know why. I think Matthew Broderick in that role, he's a likable character. Um, clearly, they kind of copied off the Raptors with the baby Godzilla at the end, but 
I don't know. Every every Godzilla movie since then, like I don't have time for that. I watch them. I see them opening weekend. You know, I don't know. You got to rewatch it. You I think I do. It. I think maybe we we should rewatch it and talk about it. I I think I see what you're saying is one of the things that, and we've actually talked about this on our podcast. We did a, like a fantasy draft of of taking all the you know different characters and dinosaurs and and moments of the Jurassic Park franchise and creating your own film. And kind of a lot of the ideas was basically just doing what the latest Godzilla versus Kong. Can you just make a movie just of dinosaurs fighting each other and not, and not have the character like the human characters matter, which is what those films are now. Like the human plot points are totally pointless. Like they are yeah. it's literally just for scale, literally just for scale. But thinking now more about that, the human element of that film was much more prevalent and yeah, maybe it's worth a rewatch. I'm, I'm liking it. I think you should do a whole episode or a whole podcast about it. Oh, I mean, if I could guarantee Matthew Broderick, I mean, he might, he's I, probably I mean, I not like that I'm... busy. Come on. He's probably right, just watching his kids, you know, he's at Cubs games. He's just watching his kids <laughs> while his wife does another sex in the city project. I think he's probably fine. Yeah. I mean, if he came back for a sequel or made an appearance, I mean, that would, I can't, that's probably more exciting than Tobey Maguire coming back for Spider-Man. Like that, that'd be huge. I mean, that's something from my childhood. It's Godzilla, you know, it's. I'm, I'm hooked. I'm, I think we're going to have to do a, a rewatch of it and, and break it down. Uh, uh, it, it can't be a rewatch cause I have yet to watch it. You have never seen it. <laughs> Are you kidding? I'm sorry. Guys. Did you, did you have uh, TBS, the Superstation, on your television <laughs> when you were growing up because it was on. I think every every weekend. Uh, we could do a shocking. watch. We could do a watch podcast. Is that the most shocking thing you found out? Is that, <laughs> that, that yeah, you have not seen? It. I, I I don't know how you had not seen it. I um I have a more shocking uh, realization to share with you guys. Um, I've never seen a Godzilla movie. Wow. That's that's shocking because you're. I guess you're more of the Jurassic Park fan, but I th- feel like there'd be cr- crossover. No, I watched Kong, uh, Skull Island. No, the one before that. Whatever. Peter Jackson's. Maybe I don't know. Doesn't matter. I would dislike <laughs> it. This is what happens on the podcast. I just uh, like to the like, island. Buddy the, the island section was like four hours long. Yeah, that was that was Peter Jackson's. And uh, it, it was just, four hours long. It was Peter Jackson's. So. All right, Mike, we're going to have to... Ha- Sorry, Daniel, you're being roped into this entire yeah. uh, issue between us as podcasters and friends that I'll take care of. I will educate him, and we'll, we'll fix this. Um, okay, uh, before we end our conversation, first off, thank you so much for the uh, taking the time. Um, my last kind of question is, uh, what's next for Stuck on Sorner? What can people look forward to? And, and you know, if someone hasn't listened to it, and if you're listening to Jurassic Pod and haven't listened to Stuck on Sorna. Shame on you. Shame on you. But Shame. like, what's next and what do you what do you hope to get out of this continuing to move forward? That's a good question. I mean, I think anybody listening to it, hopefully you learn a little bit about the film and appreciate it more. Like regardless whether or not you love it or hate it, like you're going to at least understand a little bit more about what went into the making of the film. And good or bad, there was a lot of heart put into it. I feel like really not trying to save the film, but it could have been a lot worse. I mean, it could have been mm, an yeah. epic disaster, but there's still a lot of great moments and it's a hint at what it could have been. And going forward, I mean, my plan is still only eight episodes. So next episode, we're talking about the um, spinal attack on the the boat on the river, a little oh. bit about that. And then more about like the 
the jungle set. I think it's it's fascinating how much work they put into creating a jungle set. I mean, I can tell now watching it what's like on location, what's a set, but as a kid watching it, like I had no idea that they were filming in a sound stage. Like that was that's mind blowing to me, you know. Mm-hmm. Um, and a lot of it is pretty seamless what they cut together. So that and then also talking about the the earliest the earliest script that I have, which is from April twenty or two thousand. So going forward, a few more episodes, talk about what the film could have been, what we wanted, and the ending, which the ending has always kind of bothered me, but it's fun to talk about what it could have been, what could have happened. And I'm curious what your take is on a real quick, the, the guy at the end of the film, the blowhorn, whatever you call it, the, the megaphone. Yes. As a kid, I immediately thought that's Mark Degler. Like immediately, like, oh, that's Mark Degler on the beach. Like this guy in the suit. It's not him. I assumed it was. No, it's some like random. It's not. Okay. I I assumed it was him. I don't think so. Oh my gosh. Oh my gosh. But we're supposed to remember that Mark works for the state department. At yeah, like that point right. in the movie, because well, yes, because you you would because they call they, they call get a hold of Ellie, Ellie but yep. she doesn't. Mark's not. There's not a scene where she talks to Mark, right? No, but you just, no, you just assume. Yeah. But we're supposed to remember right. that he worked like you in, think during Ellie calls dinner. The Navy? Yeah. During, yeah. I mean, <laughs> not look. I love I, Laura Dern. I love Ellie. I think Ellie. She has didn't make. It, she didn't place the call to the Navy. I I don't know, <laughs> but the whole Navy thing is it's. It's so jarring. Um, it kind of reminds me of like the end of a of the a lot of the bonds in the sixties and seventies end very jarring. Like they're like usually like the the like there's an explosion, the bad guy dies, and then like the British Navy comes up. Yeah, like they're on a helicopter. They're like, they're like yeah, we'll just finish yeah. it like that. It like that's what it reminds me of. So I I kind of like it over time. I've come to appreciate it, but it is yeah. ridiculous. That the U.S. Navy comes, but I didn't. I didn't even think about that. I'm gonna have to rewatch. No, that I just assumed you see him for such a short period of time in the beginning of the movie, and it is so forgetter forget. And the movie is so fast paced, even though there's not a lot of characters. The movie is so fast paced that you probably just don't. He's not memorable in the beginning. No, so. I, I obviously I, I I didn't even. I just assumed it. Yeah. I mean, it's probably one of those. I Mandel- had contempt for him because he wasn't Alan Grant, but yet he was fathering children <laughs> that belonged to Ellie. It's probably one of those Mandela effects, though, where you, your just brain automatically assumes right. that it is hmm. him without even really thinking about it. Yeah, and that's a question I would love to have answered. Like, whose idea was it to have this Mark Degler look like go onto the beach, just him? Grant sees him like. Someone had that idea. Did you and talk? I'm sorry to cut you off. Did you talk to um, the the actor for that? Yeah, yeah, yeah. You talked Mark, to him, right? Yeah. Yeah, and he mentioned, I don't know if I put it in the episode, Jack. I don't know if I was saving that for the ending, but, I mean, he talks about, I think I'd ask him, like, what's his character supposed to be in the film more or come back later? Um, I recall him saying there was talk of it, but I, I'll have to take a look okay. at that again. I mean, it's, it's very yeah. interesting. Like that was a decision they made. I mean, cause he kind of looks like Mark Degler, but it's not, hmm. uh, I don't know. Oh, this is, you just, this is a so, shocking yeah. moment for me. I, Seriously. I'm now this is a whole new layer that I have to like this, uh, this movie keeps on giving, like there's layers <laughs> that just pull, you pull back. There's another mystery to, to solve. 
Well, uh, Daniel, we could talk all night, I think, about JP3. And uh, I encourage everyone to, to listen and subscribe. Um, how can people connect with you uh, on socials? You're stuck on Sorna, right? Yeah, on Twitter and Instagram, stuck on Sorna, or email me at stuckonsorna at gmail.com. All right, sir. Have a great evening. Thanks again. This was awesome. Yep. You Thanks. too. Have a good night. Thanks. Bye. Uh, welcome back. Honestly, uh, I I think we might have to do a like a bonus episode of talk after we ended recording because we talked about our thoughts yeah. on Fallen Kingdom. We talked about unedited raw, just put just, out. The, yeah, we just, talked about the Mummy Returns. <laughs> we talked about the the year two thousand one and in, in film. Uh, Daniel, just what an amazing. It, it really just goes to this whole point of what I've learned about this entire experience with with you mike is that the jurassic park fan community is incredible they're amazing people they're passionate people and above all else very kind people we still haven't stumbled upon a name for for the jurassic park fans you know like i don't know if there's a unified unified fan i'm uh, I'm gonna submit one for okay submit uh, this for uh for consideration okay jurassic's (laughs) jurassic's Okay, I, I know we've said Jurassic heads. We might need to check in with Brad Jost, the patron saint of this yes, podcast yeah. and all Jurassic fandom, um, what the official name. So until we know the official one, I just want to I commend Daniel for being one heck of a Jurassic. He is. Uh, he did so much work to just make this podcast happen. And I think he's, and I joke that he's doing the Lord's work, but I think he's, answered so many questions that jurassic fans have had over the years questions we talked about on our rewatch podcast this he is a great them. re-loop yeah he answered he them. answered them he answered them all right before we end the show you've Look, been waiting <laughs> the boston globe has the spotlight team yes okay yes new york times has their investigative journalism wing okay uh-huh. jurassic park fans have daniel stefan yes daniel is one of the greatest journalists of our time and uh he's really helped do you want me to delay this? Outro yeah, for <laughs> Let's get to best kills. I figured we could do start with Jurassic Park 3. Should you start with number five first or should yeah, I so start? Yeah, number five for me okay. is Enrique on the boat. Okay, Enrique. Uh, my the number Phantom five is, is Udeski. Okay. All right. This got interesting. Uh, my number four is Cooper. My number four is MB Nash, who okay. is... Uh, the pilot who got his head bitten off. Okay. My number three is MB Nash. So MB okay. Nash is now five. We're talking MB Nash, the pilot uh, who gets pulled out of the plane and gets his head um, eaten off by the Spinosaurus. Yeah. I don't know how much there is to add about this, but <laughs> I thought it was interesting. The Spino was very uh, um, utilitarian. He uses uh, his long... Snout, snout yeah. to pull Nash out of the plane. Yeah. I thought that was good. V- very, very practical skill set by the Spinosaurus. So uh, who's who's your number three? Cooper. Cooper. So now we're doing Cooper. At four. At, uh, at, at, uh, yeah, at four. I liked Cooper because he gets killed on the runway, and uh, it kind of starts our action right away. Like, Grant wakes up from being knocked out, and he's like, why did they land this plane? Of course, Amanda Kirby is yelling, and then immediately shit hits the fan and, and Cooper just getting annihilated right away. And they, they, don't they say like he's a professional? 
That is yes. it. <laughs> <laughs> that, his death is worth so much more now. <laughs> He's a professional. I love that one. Okay, uh, who's your number two? My number two is Ben Hildebrand. All right. Um, my number two is Enrique. In, in, in so we're talking Enrique. Uh, again, wow, we just learned and uh, talked about you know, the mystery. But you have no idea how he dies. That's the mystery. That's why I love it so much. <sighs> okay, fair enough. <laughs> okay, who's your number one? Udeski. Udeski is your number one. Yes. I just like that his neck gets snapped by a raptor. Yeah, it is gross. I actually don't like it because I actually kind of love Udeski, and I'm very sad that he gets <laughs> gets killed. I just think he's very handy. And, you know, he's just doing his best. He also just fe- he feels like an accountant, the accountant for the mercenaries. Like, he's oh. not an actual mercenary like we talked right. about yeah. in, in the episode. Like, he's the accountant <laughs> that's like, or he's like the B team <laughs> leader. <laughs> That guy. I was like, he was the sub. He was the alternate. Yeah, he was the alternate. I was like, this somebody guy. Got sick, yes. actually. Somebody on the on when they were boating over probably got sick. Got sick. Yeah. 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 Okay, and then uh, that leaves Ben Hildebrand ben as Hildebrand our number one. one. Uh, obviously, uh, how can this be? Like, I don't know. I have him ranked at number two, but well, technically, we don't know. He right. might have not been killed by a dinosaur. So, but he was killed by the island. I think. You want to know what I think happened? Um, Eric. Eric. I don't know. The whole Eric theory is yeah, really no, starting is to grow on me because it... If you don't know the Eric theory, listen to Stuck on Sorna. Have we said that enough? Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> I think we talked about it in our rankings episode too, but uh, Eric... <sighs> Man, I think, I, think, I think he did it. I actually no. My real theory for how Ben dies is um, I know that they film. There's some filming done after they've landed in the tree, but I really do think that he suffered an injury, and um, and and he was unable to. Yeah, I think part of it. I actually I think I believe that theory not because Eric is like a serial killer or an evil child. I think what you said happened. He was scared and. Honestly, he probably didn't have a lot of affiliation for this guy, so he wasn't necessarily going to risk his life trying to save him or stick. He wasn't going to stick around long. Like he wasn't crying. I don't think he was crying over over Ben Ben's body or Ben like dying. I think he was scared out of his mind and moved forward. And you know what? His parents got back together, so he did win in the end. Somebody's a winner. Uh, again. Please like, subscribe, do all these things, listen to Stuck on Sorna, and we will be back with another episode as we get closer to the end of our season and closer to a trailer, trailer, trailer. Peace out. So you two, um, big up, big up, Dinosaur. Oh.